0: And welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host for today is a is a, I'm going to say a, a queer indie cinema, like, this is like an insurgent kind of icon that we have on the show with us today. You might know her work from Lyle, the fantastic, um, breezy, really, like it's about an hour-long thriller starring Gabby Hoffman that has been dubbed the queer Rosemary's Baby if you want to elevator pitch it. Uh, her new film, Bad Things, of which she's also the writer-director, is on the eve of release now. Stuart Thorndike, welcome to the show. What else do the people need to know about you before we get started? I know you have a background in like fine arts and photography, like what other capsule information should we lead with for the people?
1: I mean... I don't know how to add to Insurgent Icon. My God. Um, I, I
0: guess- mean, I like the way you talk about your movies. I like your movies. I, I like it just feels Lyle feels like a movie that arrived pre a, pre an era of genre cinema. Uh, crossing between art house and mainstream explosion, like the rising tide lifting all the boats, and it, like it feels like it was it was a precursor to one of those things where it's like, hey guys, do you know that all of this cool shit exists that you can enjoy, and it's not just slashers? So like, yeah, I feel like you're a table setter for the horror boom that came just a few years after like Lyle arrived.
1: Well, thank you so much for that. That is really meaningful to hear because it was a battle to make the kind of films that I want to make. Yeah, Um, I had been interested in horror since I was, you know, a little kid. And in fact, the task of picking the project where you feel seen, my immediate stuff was probably horror, but I wanted to sidestep that and bring something Mm. else to the table that was um, maybe came to me later in life. Um, But, you know, people thought it was lowbrow. I went to grad school for film and there was not support for what I wanted to do. Mm. And I feel like there was always support in the world for uh, boys to tell bold stories. But women mm-hmm. were meant to tell stories that were maybe subtle and beautiful and important and healing. Mm. So
0: <laughs> and healing. <laughs> so
1: it means a lot to have you point that out.
0: Of course, yeah. And I, like, there is such a... I, I am of the mind that the kind of, like, the horror explosion that happened following, I think, like, the the combination of your, like, your your witch, your It Follows, your Goodnight Mommy, coming together with the arrival of Get Out and opening people's eyes to the depth and breadth of what horror cinema could be, there is this sort of what I see as, like, a sort of decade prior to me that kind of starts with, like, a 2009 space of, like, let the right one in an in international art house horror, and then, like, a Jennifer's body teeth situation, like, American neo-exploitation in the late aughts, that's, like, ...seeding the ground for like hey guys like there's more going on here than you think there is and as things got you know more democratized in various digital distribution channels and you could just access things from all over the world and all over sort of the record crates kind of style digging through finding your finding your hidden gems i feel like that brought so much more to people at a time right at a time when a get out arrives to be like hey whole world did you know there's a <laughs> lot going on here but by that time like obviously there's a whole century of horror cinema to discover Once people kind of get there, but I think there is this sort of 10 year period prior to the boom of the late 2010s, where it's like all this like fertile soil is being tilled that then like grew forth and people could be like, hey, would you like to see the yield of the last (laughs) decade that you can access that will take you into a prior century of horror (laughs) cinema education? Right. I think,
1: you know, I might even look at it almost a little differently than that in reverse of what you said, because... I almost think there was just a blip of bad horror
0: because... Okay, fair. Yeah. Okay, I like this. I like this (laughs)
1: tape. You know, boys took over the genre and they Mm -hmm. kind of blended it up with the most base, uh, misogynistic, Mm -hmm. simple storytelling that you could do, um, which is the slasher film and that Mm -hmm. franchise of a certain film. And it, because... Those films were ugly and terrible to women. I mean, not all of them. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of a couple of them. But um, people turned away from them and didn't understand that horror has always been an important place for marginalized people and for mm-hmm. artistic exploration.
0: Mm-hmm. But to to the, to the you of it all, to the you of it all for the what brings us here today, I will start with a bit of bad things because, like you were saying, just like what it takes to make a movie that you feel like you can believe in and make it the way you want to make it. I was reading an interview that you did about Lyle in 2014, where you explain like a next project that you're working on, where you lay out the plot of bad things. And this is 2014. You're like, it's a haunted TED talk. And you talk about these friends going to a hotel. And that. 2014 that is six seven eight nine years ago yeah and here we are now talking about the arrival and release of bad things that's nuts
1: yeah that's the pain that's the battle i was ready to make this that year i have my other project that was daughter you know lyle's the first of a trilogy about motherhood mm. and um bad things was the second and daughter is the third and they were all ready to go like I wrote, I finished Bad Things in 2014, I believe, and wow. I was trying to shoot it right away. Um, and then with Daughter, I wrote it the following year. So, it you know, as a queer woman making nutritious, thoughtful, artful, mm. personal horror, it hasn't been easy, but mm-hmm. it's so many wonderful films are. Um, out there, making it way more fertile for these kinds of stories and opportunities. I hope. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I, I'm so glad you bring that up because I was reading an out. I was reading a, an article like published through Newfest. It was an interview with you. Um, and, and that was the one where you talked about um, you basically lined out bad things and the interviewer asks you are we moving toward more normalized films where sexuality doesn't serve a social purpose but rather functions like a narrative tapestry and it's interesting like reading that question posed to you in 2014 and being here in 2020 with the same like the same movie that you're talking about doing next but I feel like in the way that that sort of ambient queerness as I kind of describe it has sort of caught up as becoming more normalized like Mm. Your answer at the time was I like, like I hope so, and and I also like part of your answer was like I don't relate to the experience of it being hard being queer. Like <laughs> I, I know that's a huge part of it, like but like that's not my thing. So like when I tell stories, it's not uh, with queer people. They're not going to revolve around everybody talking about their sexuality all the time and like headlining like so we're queer. It's queer. Que- queer things are happening in our queer lives. Exactly. And Do you feel now with that nine year removal? that that ambient queerness that you just imbue into your work of people just living their lives and an experience who live of an experience similar to yours do you feel like that that is now of a part of a larger entry of films in in the cinema community or do you still feel like an outlier
1: um i never really felt like an outlier because i didn't think about it like that you know it's part of like having the conversation of making art as you start hearing oh other women aren't making horror and oh Mm -hmm. it's a weird thing that i'm not making a movie about how hard it is to be gay. Um, (laughs) But you know where I see a new generation that's really comfortable with their queerness and any kind of sexual identity that they um, are is in uh, just young people now. It's like a leap forward, you know, because I teach and Mm. It feels just wonderful to be around young people. They just at least they just don't have the same kind of um, second guessing and Uh they're just way ahead. (laughs) So that is really exciting. And so, you know, there's all sorts of corners to queerness. And I love the idea. Some of my students talk about living in in between spaces and um
0: god the language that they have and know now it's unbelievable
1: yeah and it's just there's so many stories that need to be explored still um not it's not it's just bringing it's basically just bringing different people to the table
0: yeah <laughs> yeah that that's why out of the box men thing. yeah yeah <laughs> well the we are going to we're going to get into the like the the centerpiece of the conversation uh You know, there are white straight men present, but in a very, quite the skewering of sort of convention and uh, politeness and the way of things with the character that you've brought, which is the lead character of Beverly in the movie Abigail's Party. How did you alight upon this choice? Well,
1: I had a really hard time picking something because so many films have had such a big big injection into my bloodstream and mm. you know have you know just been like my religion in some ways mm. um and a lot of my first connections i feel like a lot of people uh they naturally go to something when they were young Um, Mm -hmm. where they first, you know, have that feeling of a connection to something. And I guess for me, that was horror. So there were a lot of Mm -hmm. places or or like Twilight Zones or melodramas. But I think um, I remembered Abigail's party as being this big deal for me in my early 20s -hmm. because it was funny and I loved her. Mm -hmm. And I felt a huge connection to the comedy of it so more than i feel seen by her i felt seen by her as an actor and her as a as in part of this world the mike lee comedy i guess
0: yeah it's the filmed version correct of mike lee's stage play abigail's party and we enter a situation where we are at beverly and lawrence's house and they're preparing to entertain for the evening You're going to get changed. Oh, yes. I'll drink this, I'll get changed, and then I'll go out.
1: And don't forget those lagers.
0: Beverly, where are the olives? In the kitchen, Lawrence. Lawrence, if you want olives, would you put them out, please?
1: Oh, no. They're early, aren't they? No,
0: they're not. And you're not changed.
1: Yes, I'll know that.
0: And it feels like, as it goes, like, it's kind of like a... It feels like a co- sort of comedy of, of manners and lack of manners <laughs> that sort of descends into feeling like almost like a Buniel film, like a Louis Buniel film, like The Exterminating Angel, where you're watching these people just sort of tracked by convention and their circumstances and just devolving into a kind of madness as the night goes on. And all the while, throughout the evening, Beverly is like emasculating her husband but like with a wink and she's plying everyone with just more drinks more drinks more drinks now then sue let's see what would you like to drink oh i'll have a glass of sherry please a glass of sherry are you sure yes thank you because we've got everything there's gin whiskey brandy vodka whatever you'd like would you like a little gin and tonic so because mm. me and Ange are drinking gin and tonic actually mm. oh all right yeah thank you ice and lemon Uh, Yes, please. Right. She's, like, the most... I feel like if you imagine the most, like, meddling sort of overbearing mom type but who's also like not really involved in your life but just has opinions about how you should do every little thing that felt like beverly and just like her physical posture of how she moves through the space like kind of like tight and buttoned up at all times but also feeling like a sort of a lush and i was watching this being like i love that stewart was like i'm gonna get into beverly oh yeah for this examination what what was it about the performance for you that you really latched onto?
1: Well, she, she's kind of terrifying, I guess, but I adore it. I like bad women. I can't help it. (laughs) And I like (laughs) how she's treacherous and I like pretension. I like that. She's delusional. I like that. She has Uh a vision. She wants to throw a classy party. You know, she wants glamour (laughs) and she's, she's hungry. And just the second she walks into the screen, like the movie opens, it's not even a movie. doesn't call it a movie, but um, mm-hmm. that she walks into her house and she moves through it like a panther. And she's mm-hmm. got this fantastic dress on and she's mm-hmm. playing Love to Love You Baby. It's not Donna Summer, it's a cover of it, but, she, and she's
0: just And that incredible. song is going for like 10 minutes. Yeah. That song's going for like 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, she's just incredible to watch.
0: It's my dream actually, just to line of a beat sipping Bacardi and Coke. Have you always had a moustache? What do you mean? Have you had it for a few years? Yes. Never thought of having a beard to go with it. No. No, Lawrence wouldn't suit a beard, Angie's face is too small.
1: I was in from that second on. You know, there's certain <laughs> actresses, certain actors that really just, I feel this big connection to. And um, mm-hmm. she's one of them, like in this role for sure. Um, and that is,
0: is it Allison Stedman? Yeah. I think yeah she was yeah. married
1: to Mike Lee for a long time. And um, so it's kind of campy. Mm-hmm. And there's this sense of dread that's happening through the film. And I think that, a, and there's an ensemble to it. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the work that I do is um, managing characters like this. Mm-hmm. And I love this, like, kind of naturalistic performance that also has a heightened to it, like a, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a campy realism or something. Um, mm-hmm. So, I tend to write characters like that in my script. I like to push mm-hmm. a little, which I think is why I like horrors. I like the aesthetics that you can bring to those altered spaces and pushing characters a little bit.
0: Well, this is one of those movies where, like, with the boom of the the late tens, there has been this sort of, well, what is horror? What defines horror? Well, is it really horror? And I feel like this, like, if this dropped into the ecosystem right now, it would be one of those ones that gets sort of captured under the horror umbrella and plays at something like a fantastic festival. Oh, interesting, yeah. Because of the arc that it goes through, where, like... You know, it's it's clearly a drama, it's clearly a stage play, but it's also a, it's, it's a dark comedy. But you're watching it, and the way that it comes unglued at the end, like if if horror is rooted around a movie that is like about discomfort and then ends in catastrophe or tragedy, I'm like, well, you know, I feel like we can put this alongside the sort of Ariaster pieces in our in our conversation. Mind you, Sue, oh. he's brought this on himself. I'm sorry, Sue, but he has. Sue, if you knew the number of times I have pleaded with him to take a day off and rest, and he wouldn't listen to me, Sue. He wouldn't take any notice of me. And you know why? Because basically, he is stubborn and he's pig headed. I did read some
1: reviews before we talked, and they were all done by dudes. (laughs) And (laughs) I kind of resent that um, people think of her as being just this terror because I think she's also trying to pull people along in the party and she has Mm -hmm. like a fantasy. And I think of all these, you know, a lot of times we see, like this is three different women Mm -hmm. and they're all dealing with what they've been giving in the world in the 70s and men, you know. So you've got one who's married to um you know kind of a wimpy guy who doesn't want to get into like her cultural ambition yeah and then you've got another one who's got like an abusive guy who they're all yeah. kind of this you know I don't some of the lines that Angie says yeah about her husband saying he wants to tape her mouth shut yeah and like oh but you know I I still would miss him if he was gone. And they're like, oh, does he get violent sometimes? Do you want another drink? Is he very violent?
0: No, he's not violent. He's just a bit nasty. Mm. Mm. Like, the other day, he said to me he'd like to sellotape my mouth. No, Ange. And that's not very nice, is it? It certainly isn't, Ange. It certainly isn't. Was your husband violent? Oh, no, not at all. Oh, she's one of the lucky ones, isn't she? Definitely so, yeah, definitely. Mind you, if Tony wasn't around, I'd miss him. Would you? Mm, yeah. Funny, isn't it? And it's like,
1: for me, that's more interesting than a woman who's abused by her husband and wants to get away from him. Because mm-hmm. it kind of steps over all the complexity of why women stay in those kind of relationships. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the woman who's just recently divorced and is kind of just like still trying to figure out what went wrong. I get the feeling. Mm-hmm. And she's just being abandoned, sort of. So mm-hmm. I love that they're, I think of it as a feminist film. And, you know, Beverly is playing by the rules that were given to her. And she, yeah. you know, is it bad that she wants that little slice? A little more of her social climbing and some glamour Mm -hmm. in the mix.
0: Well, and I I think I was thinking about while I was watching, because, like, I was reading you, uh, I think it was an interview with Filmmaker Magazine, you were talking about your movie, Bad Things, as being like, A space uh, where, you know, for women to really descend into sort of the darkest aspects of their nature and like just putting them in this playpen that is this essentially like it looks kind of like an abandoned hotel. It's closed down at the moment, but it's like, you know, there are a few things scarier than a hotel that's not operational. (laughs) Like that's just like that's a haunted idea. Um, but what I was thinking while I was watching that, in consideration with this movie, was when the the male character, like the one male character, enters the film for the first time. There's like it's like a record scratch moment where every oh, each of these four women, it's kind of like a uh like what's he doing? What what is a he doing here? Right <laughs> like this seals this is a this is a violation of the space. And, like, they're they're talking, when he leaves, they're like, yeah, I hate guys like that, that just, like, patronizing but flirting with you. And then uh, Hari Neff has that great line delivery where she's just, like, just, like, he reminds me of every single man that i've ever met like just like every single <laughs> every Brian, no, they're every, all, yes. yeah we're all lumped into like i think i think every man i've ever met is exactly the same kind of like i don't know i stopped telling they're all one blurry chad at this point point. <laughs> and what i was i felt like what i was watching in despite like the presence of tony and lawrence in abigail's party it felt like a movie where it was two universes of women where there is a language and experience gap with between them and men such that men in their space feels like something that is wrong to them. And in, in your film, in Bad Things, they're like, can you go? But in <laughs> Abigail's Party, bound by the convention of its 1970s, it's, it's, it seems like it's London, and they're, they just like have to abide these interlopers into their spaces to have the lives that they want. And I wanted to hear from you about that sort of comprehension gap between these universes of men and women and how you sort of recognize that or if that's something consciously that's in your work.
1: Well, I grew up with women and I like women best. <laughs> and Jane. <Same. laughs> I can never write about dudes. I, I don't know. I'm not interested. They seem mm-hmm. like they have smaller interior lives mm-hmm. um, and I'm more hot for women. And mm-hmm. so that's where my brain goes is what are women up to? And I'm I like <laughs> <I> li- women <laughs> up to. <laughs> and I wanna just kind of, it's not, I like the idea of stepping away from the mm-hmm. man's world. And mm-hmm. then just seeing what happens, mm-hmm. so I'm not even really thinking about them. You know, I think so, Abigail's so. party really is like trying to have these female experiences, and then there's these kind of guys, and they try and send them away, and then they come back, and they're kind of messing with the dynamics and stuff. Yeah. But the but my film is more like they go to places that men don't like, a city of women. Yeah. <laughs> and- yeah. And that's natural for me, too. That's just a natural place for my um, brain to wander in and to be um, creative in. So it's not like I set out in an academic It's not like an academic pursuit for me. It's just um, Mm -hmm. maybe just natural.
0: How is it like when you've been working on something for so long, like with bad things, like knowing that it will arrive in the world that it arrives in, regardless of the world that existed when you started writing it. Like, how often do you find yourself surprised by interpretations of your own work once it leaves your hands and starts to belong to everybody else, and then they start asking you about it? Well,
1: definitely with Lyle, it was radical, because I just didn't know the reaction that I would get from the world for making a horror film. I I Mm -hmm, didn't, I knew that people like in my circles didn't think of it as high art, but I didn't know it was such a big deal to be a woman making horror. Mm -hmm. Um, And was that, wait, ask me the question again. I was focused on.
0: I I was wondering how uh, often do you find yourself surprised by the interpretation of your own work once it starts belonging solely to you and the people who made it and, and becomes the possession of everyone who gets to see it.
1: Well, I think that's just always the most exciting thing because mm. it's. It I, I'm delighted that it takes on different forms. Someone was just talking about how they're writing a book on capitalism and horror, and they're using writing about Lyle. And oh, cool! I, I was like, oh yeah, like the Brown- <laughs> Brooklyn brownstone dream and what you would give for that. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, so I think with Lyle, it was a my reaction to it was more intense because I just was it was caught me by surprise but now I really mm-hmm. love it and welcome it and I you know it's one of the exciting parts about being an artist is that conversation that you get to mm-hmm. like have
0: well I think that like into the notion of like feeling seen like when you know talking about Abigail's party and you saying like you know, like, I to me this is a feminist film and I'm not saying Mike Lee didn't intend for that but like the notion of like cinema belonging to each individual person and what you can make of it, I don't think it makes the creator's intentions irrelevant, but kind of if a shitty person made something and I don't agree with their intention for their work. And I'm like, no, actually I took this and made this mine years ago. Like, I think that is one of the most beautiful parts of being a less represented person on screen is the constant creative exercise that you're sharpening in your mind to put yourself places where you previously didn't exist or don't are, are fully not invited.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that
0: completely. And I think it's what's exciting about
1: making art.
0: We're going to take a quick break. We will be back shortly with more from Stuart Thorndike. And then at the end, you will get one quick thing before I go about the lovely little movie you should, you know, go see if you can find it in a theater. Uh, watch it at home if you can't. We're going to talk a little bit about theater camp. So stay tuned. I'm Yucky Jessica. I'm Chuck Crudsworth. And this is Terrible. A podcast where we talk about things we hate that are awful.
1: Today we're discussing Wonderful, a podcast on the Maximum Fun
0: Network. Hosts Rachel and Griffin McElroy, a real life married
1: couple. Discuss a wide range of topics. Music, video games, poetry,
0: snacks. But I hate all that stuff. I know you do, yucky Jessica. It comes out every Wednesday, the worst day of the week, wherever you download your podcasts. For our next topic, we're talking Fiona, the baby hippo from the Cincinnati Zoo. I hate this little hippo
1: and here's what some of the listeners have to say. It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile. I just started listening and I'm already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish I discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org.
0: Welcome back to Feeling Scene. My co host is director Stuart Thorndike. She made a splash with her movie Lyle and has a new film out tomorrow called Bad Things. Bad Things stars Gail Rankin, Hari Neff, Rad Pereira, and Annabelle Dexter-Jones. That'll come up in a minute here, so let's get back to it. I, I wanted to go back to something that you that you said earlier, which is like when you were like talking about Beverly and you're like, I love pretension, and I wanted to hear more about that statement and wanting like loving pretension and being a cinema fan and you know I've read you describing like the theater house is like kind of a church and and films impacting you as such a way to sort of like be almost these like religiously guiding figures for you. Like I wanted to hear about like picking a Mike Lee film that is almost exclusively available streaming on the Criterion Channel and and a love of pretension.
1: Yeah, like, in your artistic path. <laughs> with that i didn't mean to pick something that's hard to find it didn't even cross my mind until i sent it off um fine i think um okay so some other movies that i love i liked the character you weren't supposed to like all the time like yeah. i like the baroness in the sound of music mm-hmm. the one who wants to like <laughs> and i liked in little house in the prairie i liked Nellie, you know the bad kid yeah and so there's something i like madame bovary i like women who are entitled and take things and do bad things. And Mm -hmm. I think I like that delusion and that creating the life you want. Um, So I kind of crave to see more of that, of all the places that women can go. Mm -hmm. Um, I have never really connected with Women who are, like, self-sacrificing and mm. do the right, you know, or, like, driven by, like, a moral code or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think, you know, you, you, this, this – your podcast is so interesting because a lot of times, like, feeling seen, like, the mm-hmm. idea of finding a character or a film that makes you feel seen also reveals – how they're lacking, you know, where yes, you are absolutely. in reaction. So it's very a difficult task. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of movies that had queer or lesbian um, characters in them um, maybe didn't give me that, like the full range, but sometimes mm-hmm. a comedy or a feeling or a drama can. Mm-hmm. Um You know, I love Mulholland Drive because I relate to like the extent and the darkness that her love goes to. And and also I would say some pretension there like the Nancy Drew or or at least the illusions, the character side of it. So I, uh, you know, mainly it was this connection to a certain style of comedy. Mm, okay. that, that she could do um i i almost picked parker posey in waiting for guffman guess <laughs> i could just go back
0: to the dairy queen Yeah. You know. they said they take me back i always have a place at the dairy queen I I mean, one of the definitive comedies of all time. Waiting. I watched that, the first time I watched that was with my grandma. And this was when grandma was drinking, so she was in bed a lot and so grandma's had been grandma was drinking so grandma was in bed in her silk jammies and we're watching waiting for government on the big TV in their room and what parker posey fanning like a single chicken thigh on a on a barbecue on like a weber grill blithely talking about how there will always be a place for her at the dairy queen Aww. me we were sob laughing so hard we had to stop that we were just rolling with laughter on grandma's bed that movie oh God, gorgeous.
1: Well, uh, do you know that I acted a tiny bit?
0: Yes, I I, I know there are, there are a couple credits in there. I know you were you were in Eyes Wide Shut. You were on a Kubrick set, and I, I've read you talking about how like I wanna I wanted to be Stanley Kubrick yeah. when I was on that set. Like that was that was the takeaway for me. Yeah, like
1: that's true. But so it did kind of make me study acting for a couple years. But I kept wanting to just be Parker Posey in. Which I'm not Perk or Posey, but like that was that's all I could think of. Like I, didn't, what I would want to act in, just that one part. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: that one part, Corky, we love you. Corky. Corky, Corky, we love you. We want you to live. What you say about like not relating to, you know, this notion of like the self-sacrificing and that is that in your own life do you find that that is something that you slide off to the side and and decentralize or is that like an aspirational kind of identification like I would like to be less self-sacrificing I would like to be less altruistic or what have you or are you like no I just don't really prioritize those things in my own life so when I see characters like that it feels like a refreshing connection for me
1: I mean I think I'm a good person and I um I have a 5-year-old and I'm a great mom. I'm like a fun awesome. mom. <laughs> but um, I'm also just known as being kind of I don't know. I don't know if this is true, but sometimes I'm curt or I'm okay. uh I could say what I mean. I mm-hmm. in relationships I'm sometimes called a rock, you know. So okay. I'm just okay. what those things are usually uh, assigned to men. Yeah. And even the way I walk around, people say I walk around like a dude. So, you know, and I have ideas about how the world should run. And yeah, I, I, I think I know, you know, the world, according to Stuart, that's why I make films, because I'm trying to prove something. <laughs> I have a new world order.
0: And so um, I did read a, a, a quote from you in one article that said, there's one way to do things and it's my way. Did I say that? I was like, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I was like, well, that's a director, if ever I've met a director. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, you know, I think of it. I think of it as world building, because um, mm-hmm. you see, we want to just kind of show your experience, and like any art, just prove you're alive. But I think that's it, really. Is that mm-hmm. it's maybe just not the kind of woman I am.
0: Do you find that in in being responsible for rearing a, a growing life? How does politeness versus sort of like self directed energy like what's the balance of that when it's like okay now i gotta tell now i gotta tell a kid this like (laughs) they're gonna go to school and stuff and have like teachers and
1: i don't know i don't know i I find it quite easy to parent like it hasn't felt like (laughs) self-sacrifice for me i think it's fun but Uh you know the complicated things become like oh i want to go make a movie now and yeah but then i also just make sure that she knows that mommy has dreams and you're mm-hmm. going to have dreams and let's fight yeah. to do them. So um it hasn't been a conflict in there. It's more of a conflict when it comes to my art and to making rights and to how I navigate my sets and mm-hmm. compromise and collaboration and, you know, the age old question of am I being rude or my Mm -hmm. being you know all those terrible things they call women when you're um trying to have your perspective get seen Mm -hmm. being bossy or shrill or not collaborative enough or is that just because i'm a woman (laughs) yeah we need to leave okay you can go if you want to we'll get you a car
0: no 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 all of us need to leave okay Um...
1: It looks infected. My fucking leg! Fuck! My fucking leg! Oh We have to go. We have to leave! Wake up!
0: What the fuck? What's it like working with Annabelle Dexter Jones, who's reflexively makes every sort of hair of mine stand on end? When I see her on screen, I'm like, you're so shifty. I don't know what you're going to do. Oh, I love that. I mean, I... I think that's why she's perfect for Fran. Yeah, um, no, it's it's real, it's it's great Fran material.
1: It feels like, and it's interesting that you bring that. Her, Annabelle played the character that I would say is the delicious character that's most similar to Beverly as well. You know, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. I love those characters, and mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's classy like. Mm-hmm. Beverly too, Um, Annabelle Dexter Jones is just a dynamic, complex, magical actor. And yeah, chaos because, you know, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what she's thinking and where she's at and what hurts her and what gives her pain and what makes her happy. And she's enigmatic and it's really captivating. Like from the second we sat down for a table read, everybody was like, oh, Annabelle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think now that I'm thinking about it, like with with Beverly in, in Abigail's party, it feels like a distinct thing about that character is that I feel like we have examples of that character and probably perhaps more so in outright comedy. I feel like 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 an absolutely fabulous um with both of with both of the the leads of that show but I feel like a sort of trick that that movie pulls off is that it's an ensemble piece but it's on the shoulders of the character of Beverly she's sort of like your point of view character that you're moving with throughout the film and we don't see that character especially outside of comedy as the centerpiece of a movie, they're sure. supporting characters. They're they're cut like you you mentioned, like the the neighbor and Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. and in this one we have Fran as as a supporting element and somebody who's sort of like a weather vein of the entire movie. But it's really that's a bold swing to be like, and it feels like a thing you can really do in theater, but would be harder to sell on film and by sell, I mean to people who sign checks to make movies to be like, that's going to be the character that I'm going to put the whole movie on their shoulders. And that's going to be our point of view character. And you're going to go with her as your lead for an entire film. It feels like that gets pushed back, like that kind of woman as your centerpiece. Yeah, no, it's true. It's
1: hard to give the, the character, um, character you know the person who's playing the character the lead role they're usually Mm -hmm. because they're harder to design they're harder to play through like you have to be careful about how wild you make them Mm because um if they're if they're if they're steering the whole ship um they you have to be truthful and you have to land them somewhere with the story that you're trying to tell. And that's harder to do when someone's a little outrageous or a little. And they're usually the people Mm -hmm. you really want to watch, too, in a film. So it's really cool to see. You know, I'm thinking of other movies when you when you're talking, it made me think of like, um, what's that movie with Nicole Kidman? To die for, like that's another, or safe, you know, those are like really Mm -hmm. exciting, extreme characters that you can watch Mm -hmm. unfold through the film that maybe have like a big campy side to them too, which I love. I love how you can wed that realism with the, um, with the campy, I would say.
0: Mm -hmm. Are you, are you a campy or extravagant main character in your own life? Relating uh, to these characters who yeah, I guess are maybe their stories of fiction. I was,
1: uh, my instinct was to say, no, not at all. But, you know, <laughs> I was voted Miss most eccentric in high school and people say I'm a character. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're a character, you get that? Like, oh, you, Stuart's so such a character. I guess I do. I don't see myself that way, but I'm not, that's what my friends say. Yeah, that's what people say. I'm a little bit of a liar and a provocateur and, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well okay a little uh, I feel like a little bit of a liar is a great place to has that have you always been a little bit of a liar or is that something you've really grown into and honed as a skill as you've come into your adulthood? <laughs> well
1: I think making films you are a little bit of a liar because you're kind of oh, that's I point. exaggerate because I'm pretty sure people don't get like the truth doesn't justify the feeling so I just mm-hmm. add little flourishes to Make you feel what I'm trying to get you to feel. <laughs>
0: well, and I, I normally like I feel like we're we're coming we're coming toward the end of time, and normally I would like ask a, a like a, a all encapsulating sort of wrap up question that I would work on. But the thing I've just wanting wanted to bring up the entire time I haven't been able to is that this is my favorite role that I've seen Hari Neff get yet. Oh yeah, and I wanted to hear from you about just giving her a part that feels like it actually taps into. The range of what she can do. I feel like I get. I feel like I get hard enough in sound bites in yeah. roles, but this feels like a full fucking character. And I've heard you. I've seen you in interviews talk about how she's. You know, the sound set. Like, let me be your Shelley Duvall. Oh my god! Um, yeah. And I wanted to hear about like the the under the underutilized acting presence well, that is i'm, I'm so glad with her.
1: i'm glad you bring her up because i think of harry ne- Hari is a leading lady she is a dramatist <laughs> she could be and her i've said this her secret power is she can access pain and break my heart mm-hmm. and she's just so smart and funny that she does that mm-hmm. first And Mm -hmm. so I think people see that first because she can kind of run circles around people. You know, she's one of those Mm -hmm. smartest people in the room, funniest people. Mm -hmm. But if you just strip that away, you're left with this like real raw talent and who can really access pain. I really want to see her do, um, you know, a drama and be the lead.
0: Yeah, I and I and I and and obviously it was she she had a big part in in Assassination Nation, but there's sort of so much going on in that movie. It becomes sort of less about the the people and the performances than it does about sort of like the concept and the style of it, as so often is the case with that creator's work. But like this was something where I was like, oh wow, like this is like I I feel like if this I if this can be a a precursor to a next iteration of roles that Hari Neff gets offered that she that she can take advantage of, I would be extremely excited. Oh, about. yeah, me too.
1: I mean, I had powerhouse actors in, in the
0: film. Yeah, there is so much, like, movies about friends who hate each other. Like, that is one of my favorite genres, is is movies about friends who hate each other. You get a lot of that in the 2000s in horror. It's Sorority Row. It's Cry Wolf. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies last year. A movie about friends who hate each other. I, I feel like Abigail's Party. A movie about acquaintances who, like, have contempt for each other. And just, like, I want to, like, hear from you, like, as somebody, like you said, it's sort of managing characters, making a movie about all about connections underneath the surface that just roil up and ruin people's lives. Because also, canonically queer, going on a trip with all of your, with your exes and your friends in tow and your friends who are your exes and being like, what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Well, that's my life. And I guess I wouldn't say it's The queer experience.
1: (laughs) I guess I never thought of it as being, you know, friends who hate each other. They love Mm. each other. That's the problem. Yeah. There's too much love going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the, that's it. That's the source of the problems. Mm. Is
0: well, yeah, I mean, you can't, like, you're not going to feel that, you're not going to feel that much uh, at a person or about a person or be that angry at a person if you don't deeply, yeah. <laughs> problematically love them. Yeah. Um. And yeah, that's, I feel like, you know, in the the Buniel aspect of it, too, like, I like thought of exterminating angel while I was watching um, Abigail's party and just like a room filled with people who either assume too much or know too much about each other to ever have had a nice time that day. Like no matter (laughs) what was going to happen, that whether they died in their, in the dining room or they end up like Beverly is um, adulterying her husband, like off to the side, like she's hooking up, Uh, trying to hook up with Tony on like the makeshift dance floor. I love that part. And just like the amount of times in 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 your movie that someone's like, "Why are you with her?" That like, and you could, I could be talking about any number of hers in this film. It's like, guys, did you really think this move this weekend was going to go off without a hitch, regardless of ghosts? I know the ghosts well, are the least of your problems here. You
1: know, I think creating you know, a family outside your biological family, your chosen family mm. is also going to be a family. And it's a topic yeah. that's interesting me and it needs to be navigated. And it isn't just, you know, Hari and I would talk about this like a lot. It's not just going to immediately be a utopia. Yeah. And I would say <laughs> that like, just tying it back to Abigail's party, you know, Abigail's party is known as a movie about class and it absolutely is. Um, but there's also this kind of punk way that the movie just is heading towards dread. And then when he finally dies at the end, how long and gruesome that is and the breathing. And it reminds me of, you know, of another film that I thought of for this fat girl, or it reminds me of Mm -hmm. horror and just like that um, daring to, you know, I love horror that is wedded in character and, Mm -hmm discomfort and dread and melancholy mm-hmm. instead of adrenaline fear and I think mm-hmm. that that's also why I have a, a relationship to this film
0: I think leaving it on that note is the way that we'll cap it off uh, dread and fear and your your um compulsion toward e- experiencing and then creating that kind of art uh, Stuart Thorndike, thank you so much for a rather sprawling conversation <laughs> for allowing it to like go allowing it to go off the main river into its various tributaries
1: just following your brain I loved it thank you <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you so much again to Stuart Thorndike for coming on Bad Things is out tomorrow on Shudder and AMC Plus, so do check that out. Support independent cinema. And if you haven't seen Lyle, it's streaming all over, including on Canopy and Tubi. All you need for Canopy is a library card, and you get access to actually a pretty impressive catalog of films, I think possibly including A24's list of titles. Um, So yeah, there, there's great stuff on Canopy, actually. We don't talk about it enough. Go check out Canopy. And if you're curious about Abigail's party, you can find that currently on the Criterion channel. And now, my one quick thing before I go, theater camp. Theater camp, what a little gem of a movie. If you are of the subset of people out there who knows that Waiting for Guffman is the true pinnacle of Christopher Guest movies... And that Spinal Tap is great and so is Best in Show, but actually it all comes down to waiting for Guffman. If you ever did theater in front of or behind the curtain, if you've ever been gay, then Theater Camp is a movie for you. It, is, it was so much fun seeing Theater Camp in a movie theater because if you are like, I need to go see this while it's still on a big screen... You're going to have a good time. If you're somebody who's like, I need to prioritize getting to theater camp uh, uh, in, in, in a cinema, you know exactly what you're going for, and you're going to get it, and you're going to have a great time. You will get the jokes. You will understand the kids. Maybe you were one of those kids when you were little. Maybe you're still one of those kids now, and you just grew up a little bit. This movie finally like bought me into Ben Platt's whole deal because he's making fun of his whole deal. And you're like, all right, Ben, great job. Uh, him and Molly Gordon, real life uh, friends their like entire lives. There is archive footage of them performing on stages when they were children together, intercut in the movie at points where it makes sense. She co-directed the film. She co-wrote the film. Her and Ben Platt, obviously longtime friends. His fiance Noah Galvin, is in it as the long-suffering, put-upon stage manager um, who is teaching the art of stagecraft to the children who couldn't get into the dance class because it was simply too packed already. Um, It's endearing. It is funny. The cast is fantastic. Um, Jimmy Tatro, guys... I have such a crush on him. He is like he—he's just—he what a what a hottie! How is how is that man? How is that man so appealing? You listen. Patty Harrison's great. The aforementioned cast is great. Amy Sedaris pops up briefly. She's great. The children in this movie are great. Have a joyful time with the theater friends in your life and watch this movie. And if you if you've never met a theater kid or you never were one yourself. Uh, take the anthropological journey of watching theater camp and learn a little something uh, about the people who you didn't. Maybe you grew up playing sports. Uh, maybe you grew up shy and just didn't have anything to do with performance. But it is it is a film of jokes. It is a film of musical numbers. It is a film of of understanding. I cried through the finale, and not because it's treacly, but because it is sentiment perfectly executed with um like satire, and you can't. You can't just please. Like, we support independent cinema, but we also support nepotism children making good movies with the access and connections and experience they have. This is how you are a great child of the industry. Take the resources at your disposal and make cool shit, and we will just be happy to have you. We will be glad you use those resources to the best of your ability and to the greatest of our enjoyment. So. Thank you, industry children, for making Theater Camp. Everybody's out here watching Barbenheimer, but this little movie that could, I, I really want you to go out and see it. Uh, and I think you're going to have a great time. And that is our show. You can follow us at Pod or send us an email at feelingseenatmaximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epin. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun.